Kale Clark here. Thanks for listening to my podcast. Check out Charity Mobile and prayerfully consider making them your wireless carrier. Mention offer code Relevant Radio and get a free phone. Don't delay. CharityMobile.com. That's CharityMobile.com. Fascinating facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. A tremendous Thursday to you. It's June the 8th, 2023, and you can call in right now. 888-914-9149. It's toll-free line to talk to me on The Kale Clark Show. You can also email the program. Always great to hear from you. Kale at relevantradio.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at Kale Clark, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E. And I've entitled this episode, Killer Relationships and relationship killers. I know, I know, very creative. Today's reading from the Old Testament, I, it, all, it made me smile because this is the one that Trish and I picked for our wedding mass. It's about Tobias and Sarah and that beautiful prayer of Tobias on their wedding night. But before that, they had to defeat a killer demon with an assist from St. Raphael, the archangel. So we're, we're going to talk about that in just a second. We're also going to talk about how you can set boundaries with difficult family members. It actually can be done. And with summer, of course, being pretty much here, travel season's about to heat up. Before you know it, it'll be the 4th of July, and you might have to visit some family members, and you might not want to visit those family members. What do you do when you have difficult family relations? How can you set boundaries? It's touchy, uh, but we're going to give you some good advice on that. Once again, that number to call, 888 nine one four nine so again uh, it was really nice i uh, when i went to mass this morning not only was the old testament reading uh, from the same one that we used for our wedding mass but also the psalm as well psalm 128 which always kind of bothered us for a long time because uh, for many years in our marriage we struggled with infertility and psalm 128 says that your wife will be like a fruitful vine in the midst of your home well that never really happened for us your children like olive shoots around the table uh, but in time uh, God gave us Michaela, but I really love the first reading uh, from the book of Tobit, and it's got one of the one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible, the book of Tobit, uh, in Tobit chapter 6, Raphael the archangel, now T Tobias does not know that it is Raphael the archangel, he's kind of in disguise, disguised as a family member. He says, don't be afraid to take Sarah as your wife, for she was destined for you from all eternity. Now that, that's a beautiful verse when it comes to marriage in general, but Tobias had reason to be afraid when it came to this woman, and, and let me tell you why that is, just to give you some background, and, and then we're gonna, I'm going to share with you the beautiful prayer from the reading. not going to do the whole reading, but it's well worth checking it out uh, if you haven't seen it. Um, basically what happened was the angel Raphael, again, in disguise, was kind of hired by Tobias's father. Now, Tobias, sometimes, sometimes he's called Tobiah. Sometimes it's rendered Tobias, depending on what translation you're looking at. But Tobias's father, Tobit, basically hired the archangel Raphael to go with Tobias, to go with his son. And the mission was he had to get some money back. There's some money that was set aside a long, long time ago in a land far, far away. And he has to go get it back. And so on this journey, they're kind of walking together. St. Raphael talks about this beautiful and sensible woman and you, you gotta meet her she's just incredible and in fact 
she's a kinswoman, and that's kind of the way it was. There was this kinsman redeemer type motif in the Bible, and the book of Ruth is very uh, big on this as well. And of course, Jesus Christ is the ultimate bridegroom, the kinsman redeemer, redeems his own people and all the peoples of the world uh, through his work on the cross and the church being his bride. There's all that stuff. But in fact, when they when they actually get to the relative's house, uh, Tobias sees this girl and he's like, I totally want to marry her. Let's do it now. He practically says uh, to her dad, this has to happen. It has to happen now. And his his future father-in-law says, oh, just so you know, I think you're perfect for her, but um, the last seven guys who tried to marry her died on their wedding night, just so you know. Just so, but I'm sure you'll be fine. I'm sure you'll be, I'm sure the two of you will be just fine. It's, it's going to work out perfectly. <laughs> you can imagine Tobias kind of gulping, saying, whoa, what, what's, what's going on here? Well, the reason is there's this demon named Asmodeus who's in love with Sarah, and he has personally killed every single guy that's tried to marry her. So seven guys in a row try to marry her, and on their wedding night, before they consummate the marriage, the demon kills them, and then she has to start all over again. Not cool. Uh, pretty depressing, to say the least. So Sarah is freaking out. She's th- saying, I don't want another young guy to get killed here. Uh, this is not a good idea. So her mother kind of comforts her. Uh, her mother's name is Edna. And her dad, Sarah's dad, Raguel, he basically he, he, he hopes for the best, but he's preparing for the worst. Let's put it that way. Before, before the, the couple goes into the bridal chamber, he, he says to his wife, okay, set up the bedroom for them, the, the extra room. Okay, just... But here's the deal. He, he, tells, he tells his servants, um, just in case, I want you guys to go out and dig another grave in the backyard. Just, just have that at the ready. <laughs> because we might have to drop another body in there. I mean, this is, it's almost comical. Um, but thankfully, uh, the archangel Raphael has uh, revealed the secret of how to defeat this demon. It sounds kind of weird, but it, it involves throwing fish liver and fish heart uh, on the coals, and the smoke from this uh, drives away the demon. Bonus, you can uh, eat the barbecued liver when you're done. Ooh, that's not, uh, not exactly a great wedding uh, dinner menu item, but uh, that's exactly what happens. So uh, Asmodeus, the, the evil demon, is driven away, and then Raphael, St. Raphael the Archangel, just for good measure, he chases him all the way to the other end of the world and binds him up. And you can read about this in Tobit chapter 8. Okay, so that's all the setup. It's a pretty exciting story. It's a, it's a pretty cool book. And, of course, it's, it's in Catholic Bibles. It was uh, taken out of uh, Protestant Bibles. It's known as, the, as part of the Apocrypha in Protestant Bibles. It's one of the books that's kind of stuck at the end of the book for them. Uh, but, of course, we Catholics consider it to be an Old Testament book. It's part of what's called the Deuterocanonical books, the second canon. That's what that means, the canon of Scripture. And I, I definitely think you should check it out. And uh, the Old Testament readings for the last few days have been from the book of Tobit. You're listening to The Kale Clark Show, 888-914-9149. So, on their wedding night, um, this is what it says. This is what it says happened. So the door is shut. Uh, Tobiah is there with his beautiful bride. It says he gets up and says to his wife, My love, get up, let us pray and beg our Lord to have mercy on us and to grant us deliverance. She got up and they started to pray and beg 
that deliverance might be theirs. He began with these words, Blessed are you, O God of our fathers. Praised be your name forever and ever. Let the heavens and all your creation praise you forever. You made Adam, and you gave him his wife Eve to be his help and support. And from these two, the human race descended. You said, It is not good for the man to be alone. Let us make him a partner like himself. Now, Lord, you know that I take this wife of mine, not because of lust, but for a noble purpose. Call down your mercy on me and on her, and allow us to live together to a happy old age. They said together, Amen, Amen, and went to bed for the night. Uh, maybe they didn't go straight to bed, but we'll, we'll get into that uh, maybe later. But at any rate, we see that, that Tobiah here, he, he knows the Old Covenant really, really well, the Torah, the books of Moses, and he's, he's talking about the creation account. And this is just a beautiful prayer that, that hey, you can pray with your spouse. It's, it's a great thing that you can do um, on a nightly basis. It's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful account from the book of Tobit. But there's so much we can, we can really learn from this. And I just want to talk about this, this prayer a little bit, just because I think it's really beautifully done. And it's such a, an antidote to the many counterfeits of true love that are, that are in the culture uh, right now. And let's just, uh, just look really quickly at the, the first thing that he says here, that they, um, uh, just a second here, as I find it here, I lost my uh, place. Here we go. Here we go. So, Tobias, basically, the first thing he did was, was get up and, and he said to Sarah, get up, let us pray. Let us pray. And, and what I like about this is that he's, he's taking spiritual accountability and leadership in his home. And I think a lot of the reason why, and, and statistics bear this out, that people who leave the Catholic Church, and let's face it, we are hemorrhaging people in the Catholic Church. The latest numbers from the Pew Research Center, they, they come out every couple of years with sort of a state of the church uh, set of stats and they, they always say pretty much the same thing that the church is bleeding people and the latest set of statistics that I heard was that for every one person who comes into the church at Easter time and is baptized who converts to Catholicism if you will for every one person that comes in 6.5 people leave the church all right I don't know where the half person comes into play here but you get the point this is not a good situation so we're hemorrhaging people Sometimes in our big cities, we don't really notice this. Uh, there's still a, a lot of immigration from Catholic countries. People, the, the churches seem to be full. But if you go outside of the big cities, and if you maybe wait a couple generations, the same thing tends to happen. And part of the reason is that if there is a home in which uh, the man is a practicing Catholic, the husband and father is a practicing Catholic, it's very rare comparatively, for children to, to walk away from the faith. Whereas if only one of the parents is practicing, if, if only the mother is practicing, let's say, it's much more common for kids to walk away from their faith. And, and that, that seems natural to me because they, they, they're thinking, well, if, these, if, if they can't even agree on this, if, if this isn't important to both my parents, why should it be important to me? It's just kind of a natural way of looking at things. And when you're young, you don't necessarily... Uh, you're not necessarily looking at the reasons for your faith, and very often young people aren't trained in apologetics, the reasons for why they believe what they believe or why they should believe this. And then we've got to fix that too, catechesis in the church for sure. But I do think it's really important for us as guys to be the spiritual leaders in our household, 
And uh, of course, mom is a leader too. And, and most of us, including myself, I, I raise my hand here, most of us, our prayers were taught to us by our mom. At, maybe at the foot of the bed, kneeling down at, at night. That's where we first learned our prayers. And I'm, I'm guessing, maybe it was your dad who taught your prayers. I don't know. It was different for you. Let me know. 888-914-9149. It's Kale Clark show on Relevant Radio. But I really like that he's initiating this, saying, hey, we, we've got to pray here. He's, he's taking the lead. He's putting God first. And I, I think we need to do that. And the next thing he says in his prayer, he says, well, before he starts praying, actually, he says, we've got to implore our Lord that he grant us mercy and safety. So she got up and they began to pray and implore that they might be kept safe. So safe until when? Until they reach the culmination of their journey. If we're called to marriage, we're called to get this person to heaven. You're supposed to help your spouse get to heaven, to become a saint. And they're supposed to help you do that as well. And in fact, if you're called to marriage without this person, you, you can't really do it. Do not be afraid to take Sarah as your wife, for she was destined for you from all eternity. And so it's it's going to be a tough road. There's going to be a lot of landmines on that road. And, and there are threats from without. There are threats from within. And relationships are not easy. In fact, marriage is essentially two sinners moving in under the same roof. What do you think is going to happen? It's going to be issues, right? Even in the best of relationships. So we need to ask God for his mercy and for his safety on a daily basis as well, because there are threats to not only our particular marriages, but to the institution in general. Clearly, we see it in the culture. There are so many counterfeits to marriage. Tertullian, an early church writer, said that Satan wants to counterfeit the sacraments. We see so many counterfeits to true marriage out there, and we don't need to go through them. You know what they are. But when it, when, it, when a culture is flooded in their monetary situation and their banking system with counterfeit currency, it devalues the real thing. And that's what we're seeing here. So they, they, they praise God for bringing them together, and, and they understand that um, they're a, they, they stand part of a, a, a tradition here. Tobias says, blessed are you, this is how he begins the prayer, blessed are you, O God of our fathers, praised be your name forever and ever. Let the heavens and all your creation praise you forever. And then he references Adam. He said, you made Adam and you gave him his wife Eve to be his help and support. And from these two, the human race descended. You said, it is not good for the man to be alone. Let us make him a partner like himself. And so... We, we talked about the, the book of Genesis, especially the creation accounts, um, a lot on the Faith Explained program is the other show I host on Relevant Radio. And very recently we did a little mini-series on the theology of the body, uh, the creation accounts, the first marriage there. And so this, this, is, this is coming to us from God. This is a top-down. God is the one who created marriage. We didn't cook this up ourselves. And man and wife are, are meant to complement one another. I mean, we see this even when we look at the human body. This is why it's so important that Pope John Paul II created something called the theology of the body. He didn't He didn't really create it. He sort of brought it out. And it's really just a great Bible study on the book of Genesis, the creation accounts, the first man, the first woman, the first marriage, and what it means for us today. And, and the fact is, when you look at the human body, you look at a man's body, you look at a woman's body, and you say, this doesn't make sense without the other. A man's body doesn't make sense unto itself, and neither does a woman's. You know, I mean, what are these things for? Well, okay, okay, now I get it. And so, 
together they really image God. And that, that's what JP2 said in the theology of the body. It's not so much in the moment of solitude that they image God as individual humans, but in the moment of communion. The first man, the first woman become a communion of persons. And, and they become one flesh. The two become one. And again, that, that very funny and punny line from Scott Hahn, that's also very true. He says that Adam and Eve, the two became one. The two become one so much so that in nine months, you might have to give that one a name. And then there are, what, three persons in one family. What does that sound like to you? It's kind of a created icon, if you will, of the Trinity. And so I think that's really important. So that, that's, that's key. And then, and then he says this, Tobias, in the prayer. He says, Now, Lord, you know that I take this wife of mine not because of lust, not because of lust, but for a noble purpose, for a noble purpose. It's sanctifying. It, it's holy. And this is one of the things that we have to remember. And there's, there's always this, you know, if you're from a certain generation, maybe you or your parents, or your grandparents, maybe grew up thinking, you know, that marriage and the act of marriage is somehow dirty. No, it's not. God created it. God created it. No, the devil can't create anything. He can't. He's not that powerful. He's very, don't get me wrong, he's powerful, but, but he can't create anything. Only God can create, and everything that God created is good. So all he can do is offer us disordered goods. We, we've talked about that before recently. Disordered goods. That's what sin is all about. Disordered goods. It's taking something good in God's creation and trying to get you to misuse it, to misappropriate it the wrong time, the wrong place, with the wrong person. So he wants to twist what is good, and, and by that, hoping to bring about our destruction through pride and, and through uh, disorder. And, and so this is, this is something that, that we have to, uh, to remember. And, and so well, people say, well, what is lust then? What, what is the difference between love and, and lust? Well, again, back to JP2. Before he wrote The Theology of the Body, many years earlier, decades earlier, actually it was in the 1950s, it was right at the beginning of the so-called sexual revolution. The young bishop, Carol Wojtyla, he wrote this book called Love and Responsibility. And that was kind of a precursor to his later work. But he's, he was thinking about relationships. He was thinking about man and woman and the beauty of marriage for a long time. And as a young priest, he very famously, you probably know the story, he used to go on these camping trips, these, these canoe trips with a group of young people, young couples from his parish. And they would just kind of do life together and he would learn from them and they would learn from him. And it was kind of a beautiful thing. And just getting to know these couples, that's, that's around the time when he was thinking about these ideas and he was seeing even back then the cracks and the fissures that were going to happen to marriage. And so he wrote this book, Love and Responsibility. And he basically said this, this is the Twitter version of Love and Responsibility. To love someone is the very opposite of what it means to use someone. Okay, so if you don't remember anything else, just remember that. To love someone is the very opposite of what it means to use someone. Okay, so the, and the greater the love, the greater the responsibility that you have for that person. So if you're married to somebody, your responsibility is to help them become a saint. That's a pretty big responsibility. God needs to help you, and he will. But to love someone is the opposite of what it means to use someone. And that, unfortunately, what passes for quote-unquote love these days is nothing but use. And this is really where lust comes in. People say, well, what does lust mean? What's the definition of lust? Well, one, one writer said this. 
lust is sexual desire, which is given by God. It's, it's, it's a gift of God. It's sexual desire without the love of God, without the love of God. So again, it's disordered good. So if love is the very opposite of what it means to use, lust really is use. It is usage. It is using the other person. It's Okay, so if, if lust is the opposite of what it means to love someone, then what is love? You know, it's like that Hathaway song. <laughs> I've talked about that before. John Hanready has a nice article up on the, on the Relevant Radio website about that. What is love, baby, don't hurt me. Well, I'm not going to sing for you, but I will tell you what the definition of love is. It's, it's pretty simple. It's a total gift of self. It's a total gift of self. And we see this whenever we look at a crucifix, whenever we think about our Lord crucified. He's giving himself completely. And this is what we base the, this is what the theology of the body really is all about. This is what we base the wedding vows in the Catholic Church on. The gift of Christ, the bridegroom, to his bride. His love is free, it's total, it's faithful, it's fruitful. He says, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own free will. It wasn't so much the Judas betrayed him. Um, it wasn't so much the Roman soldiers nailed him to the cross. He chose to give his life. He laid down his life. He made the decision. So love has to be free. It has to be total. He says, this is my body given up for you. He gives everything he has. He's faithful. I will be with you always unto the end of the age, especially in the Eucharist. That's, this is how he does this. And then it's fruitful. He says, the thief, the enemy, the devil, he only comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come so that you might have life and have it to the full. And anyone who has been born again of water and the spirit at the baptismal font, the womb of the church, is a child of God. And there's been billions of us throughout the ages. So this is the total gift of self. This is really what, what love is all about. And Tobias, in his, in his prayer, he prays for this. He says, I take this wife of mine, not because of lust, but for a noble purpose, for love. And it is possible, to, even within a marriage, to, to lust. JP2 talked about that in the Theology of the Body. He said it, is, it, it would be possible even, it's not a good thing, but it's possible even for someone to lust, lust after their spouse, to, to not uphold their human dignity, to objectify them to want to use them, so to speak, and, and not bring in the totality of the person. And, and so we, we have to be very, very careful about that. Are we, are we living and loving in, in the image of God, even in our, in our marriages? And so that's something we really have to uh, keep in mind as well. So let, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. this. This is a beautiful scripture. We picked it for our wedding liturgy. Do you remember what scriptures you chose? If you had a choice, maybe you didn't have a choice. Maybe it was assigned to you. What scriptures did you pick for your wedding mass for your married in the church? I'd love to hear about it. Triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. And we'll be right back with much, much more after this on the Kale Clark Show. Stay tuned. Hi, this is Kale Clark. Thanks for listening to my podcast. Check out Charity Mobile and prayerfully consider making them your wireless carrier. They're a pro-life phone company and 5% of your monthly plan price goes to Relevant Radio or another pro-life charity of your choice. For a limited time, new customers who mention offer code Relevant Radio get a free phone with free activation and free shipping. Don't delay. CharityMobile.com. That's CharityMobile.com.
Helping you keep your mind off traffic and on the more important things in life. It's Kale Clark on Relevant Radio. Hey, welcome back to the Kale Clark Show. And you can call in right now, 888-914-9149. We're talking about the incredible book of Tobit, this amazing story about Tobias's marriage to Sarah. It was the uh, Old Testament reading today, the beautiful prayer that Tobias prays with Sarah on their wedding night. It's interesting because there's so many connections between uh, the Eucharist and marriage as well, because obviously Jesus founded the priesthood, established the priesthood on Thursday. We need the priesthood for, of course, the Eucharist to happen, to confect the Eucharist. And he instituted the Eucharist at the Last Supper, the first Mass, which was obviously on a Thursday, Holy Thursday. And I've been talking a lot about uh, JP2, uh, St. John Paul II, his book, Love and Responsibility. We said that love is the very opposite of what it means to use someone, the theology of the body, uh, so crucial. We see elements of that really incipient in this uh, beautiful prayer of Tobias, but also his last major encyclical before he, he passed away was Ecclesia de Eucharistia, the Church and the Eucharist. And and obviously, as you know, uh, next year is, is going to be this incredible celebration that we at Relevant Radio, we're going to be right in the middle of this, uh, the Eucharistic Congress in Indianapolis. I can't wait for that next July. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be uh, the Super Bowl. It's going to be in the house that Peyton built, Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis. It's, it's, this is a far more important than any kind of uh, trophy that, that they hand out in the sports world. This is uh, the championship of life, the Eucharist. Hey, the true Super Bowl is the golden cyborium that contains sacred host. How about that? The real Holy Grail, it's not the Stanley Cup. It's not Lord Stanley's mug, which will be contested again tonight. It's, of course, the chalice with the blood of Christ. And so, all right, all right, enough of the metaphors. But one of the things that uh, John Paul II said in Ecclesia de Eucharistia is that the Eucharist really is the sacrament of the bridegroom and the bride. Because Christ is the divine bridegroom, the church, we are collectively the bride of Christ. And this is where the bridegroom and the bride become one flesh, in the Eucharist, where we're united to Christ, body, blood, soul, and divinity. It is a, it's incredible. So much to think about, so much to unpack there, and we'll do that later. But I did ask you guys, what was the scripture passage that you or passages, if you can remember them, that you used for your wedding mass. And do you still use those today? Do you still pray them today? Uh, let me know what why you chose these ones. 888-914-9149 is the number to call. Like I said, my wife Trish and I, we did use this passage from Tobit, this beautiful prayer of Tobias and Sarah on their wedding night. Uh, that was our Old Testament reading. And today's Psalm, Psalm 128, we use that as our Psalm. And then Gospel reading was from John 17, that they might be one even as you and I are one Father. And so we were kind of praying that uh, our unity in, in, in our marriage and our family life might draw other people to the family of God, not only the, the church, but to the Trinity, uh, because God in himself is family. So that's something we always have to think about, too. It kind of blows your mind. So let's go to the phones right now. Let's go to John in Wisconsin. Hi, John. Hey, John, Hello, you're can you on... Hear me? Yep, you're on the air, sir. Go ahead. Okay, I'm sorry. Um, I wanted to just share a story with you about um, how Archangel Raphael became very, very special in my life. Sure. So, fast, go way back in time, uh, probably 35 years. I was single, had been single for an incredibly long time. 
was looking for my wife. I was in Mass one Sunday. I heard the story about Tobias and his wife, Sarah, made the connection with Archangel Raphael. And so I started praying to Archangel Raphael um, for help in finding me a wife. Hmm. And about a year later, I met a young woman named Kelly, and we fell in love, and we got engaged, and we got married. And shortly before our marriage, I found out that her real name wasn't uh-huh. Kelly. That was a nickname that everybody just used. Oh, really? But her real name was Raquel. <laughs> and at that same moment, I realized that Archangel Raphael had just found my wife named Raquel. And so we've been married 33 years now, and I've been a huge advocate for Archangel Raphael. I actually buy bulk prayer cards of his, 50 (laughs) at a time, and whenever I run into any um, young people that Mm -hmm. I'm able to have a chat with, I share them with them, my story, I give them the card, and he is a patron saint of travelers, so our family says that prayer whenever we're on a long trip anywhere. Um, he's also the medicine of God, so we use that for yeah. anyone that has cancer or a sickness, and we share those cards. And we've been distributing them, because now my wife realizes the whole story. We've been distributing them for the last 30 years. So he's very, very special to me, and I just wanted to share that. It was, I, I love him dearly. Oh, that, that's a beautiful story, John. That's incredible. So you thought her name was Kelly, and I guess it kind of is. It's her nickname, but it's actually Raquel. I wonder if Raquel is is kind of uh, etymologically related to the name Raphael. It may, it may be, it may be, but what what a beautiful story! And I think that's great that you distribute those prayer cards. We need that. We need that. And if if Raphael the Archangel can help uh, these people find their vocation, whatever it may be, uh, that that's really important. And whether they and some people are called to, as John Paul II said in the Theology of the Body, to skip the sign. If marriage is a sign to the world of the unity, the marriage of Christ and his church, well then, some people are called to skip the sign, he says, and this is celibacy for the sake of the kingdom. And they're, they're, they're sort of starting to live, even in time, the life that we all will live in eternity after the resurrection, where Jesus said they will neither marry nor be given in marriage, will be like the angels in heaven, where they won't become angels, we don't become angels, People say that, they die, and then they become an angel. No, they don't. We always are human persons. But they're like the angels in that they, they don't marry. They don't need to. Uh, there's no need for procreation in the afterlife. And so that's what that's all about. So they, they're sort of living that life now in time. And that bothers people. This is why people don't, they, they, they have huge issues with the charism of celibacy because it, it makes them uncomfortable. Because for a lot of people, they think that you know, sex is an idol to them, and and they they think this is the be all and the end all. But there is more. It's a great gift of God in marriage, of course. But but if if marriage marriage is not supposed to be an idol, it's supposed to be an icon, if you will, almost like that computer icon or an, or an icon for an app that you click on it, and then it just opens up this whole new world. And so when you you sort of click on, as it were. Marriage, it's supposed to open up this whole new supernatural world for you and, and what it really is all about and what it really symbolizes. And so that's one of the great things, I think, that, that the theology of the body does. And so I think especially for the guys, you know, it's it's good to have this devotion to St. Raphael the Archangel that if you're looking for a spouse that he might guide you and to the right person. And I think it's a good thing if you're if you're single out there. This is something my wife did. She told me this later that 
she started praying for her future husband years and years before we ever met. And when she started praying for me, as it turns out, she didn't know it was going to be me, but I was going through a really tough time. A, a, a really, I was on, I was on a spiritual precipice. It was a really crucial time in my life when things could have gone a number of different ways. And I'm sure that her prayers really, really helped because God knew, of course, we were going to meet. And I think it's a really important thing to do that if you think you're called to this vocation of marriage, start praying for your future spouse now, even if you haven't met them, and pray that you might be prepared and be in a good spiritual place when you meet them so that you're ready for this responsibility. Get, start getting ready now. It's possible God might call you to something else, another vocation. It may be, but it doesn't matter. It's start praying, and and I, I think that that's really crucial. And so that's a good thing to do. But but also for I don't know why the the other thing is, and and I forget the reason why this this is the case, but it's very very common for ladies, young ladies in the church, to ask for the intercession of Saint Anne, the mother, of course, of Our Lady of the Blessed Virgin Mary to ask for her intercession to find, to find the right guy. And the prayer is St. Anne, St. Anne, find me a man as fast as you can. I don't know if that's the, the actual words of the prayer, but I, I've heard that. Uh, so anyways, just throwing that out there as well. Uh, you ladies can turn to, of course, St. Anne, the grandmother of Jesus and the mother of our lady. You're listening to the Kale Clark show on relevant radio. Thank you for that call. John really appreciate that. John in Wisconsin. He's obviously on the road. If you're on the road, if you're on the West Coast, if you're on one of the busy California highways, you can call in right now, 888-914-9149. Anywhere from Maui to Maine and beyond, you might be listening online somewhere around the world on the Relevant Radio app, relevantradio.com, streaming. Call in, 888-914-9149. Tell me what scriptures you use during your wedding mass. So I think one, one thing that's really good to do, by the way, is to not just leave this at your wedding mass, but to take those scriptures and make it a part of your family life going forward, your marriage and family life, if God has graced you with, with children. It's a good thing to do to keep praying that, that, that those scriptures with your spouse, with your children, and keep thinking about that. And uh, you obviously pick them because they meant something to you. If you had a choice, sometimes you don't, but um, most couples, they give you a little booklet when you're sort of in the pre-Cana class, you can kind of pick out which scriptures you want. So it's, it's obviously probably very meaningful to you, and um, you should make it a part of your, of your future life together and not just kind of leave it uh, back then. It's a good thing to revisit those, maybe especially on the anniversary of your wedding. All right, so what happens with marriages? Well, they usually lead to families, but sometimes families have issues because we live in a fallen world what do you do when you've got relatives, relationships in the family that are not what they should be? Sometimes they're, they're even, quite frankly, in, in a bad place, maybe, maybe even abusive or something else. How do you deal with them? How do you create good and healthy boundaries in family relationships? We're going to talk about that right after this break. But do call in, 888-914-9149. We'll be right back on The Kale Clark Show. This is The Kale Clark Show, giving you the confidence you need to bring the faith into everyday life. Hey, welcome back to the program, 888-914-9149. Get your phone calls in just a second. If you're on the line, please hang on. We've been talking about Tobias and Sarah and their killer relationship, their great marriage, but there are also relationship killers. 
there are relationships in the family that maybe aren't what they should be uh, because of human sinfulness and other all kinds of other reasons. How do you set boundaries with difficult family members? Well, that's something that we're going to have to deal with this summer as you're maybe traveling around, seeing friends and family. How do you set boundaries with a difficult family member or maybe somebody else in your life who's difficult? It is possible. It is possible. I read a piece in the New York Times. It was all about a New York Times bestselling author, by the way, who's written a bestseller. I'll tell you what that is in just a second. Her name is Nadra Glover Tawab. And she's actually a therapist, um, and she's got a lot of followers. She's got over 1.7 million followers on Instagram, also got a ton on, on Twitter as well. And she'll kind of throw out these little nuggets. Uh, here's an example. The silent treatment isn't teaching them a lesson. It's showing that you can't handle conflict. Ooh, okay. So so what do you do when somebody gives you the silent treatment? Well, or you're giving somebody else the silent treatment, rather. The silent treatment isn't teaching them a lesson. It's showing that you can't handle conflict. All right, so if you want more pearls of wisdom, you can, you can check her out there. And, and there are a lot of people that, that it, it's, it's not surprising that uh, people like Nadra Glover Tawab are attracting a lot of followers on social media because people need help with these issues. And she's not coming necessarily from a, a spiritual point of view. I don't, I, don't, I don't know about her personal spirituality. I know nothing about that. But, but she's just kind of giving stuff that she's learned through therapy that can work in human relationships, just on a human level. And that, that's, and we can, I think number one is we have to pray for these people. That's number one. And we have to pray for ourselves that we can be loving in these relationships. But sometimes we have to set uh, appropriate boundaries and we need some actual tools and strategies that we can use. And grace always builds on nature, of course, as well for this stuff. So let me tell you about, a little bit about uh, uh, Nadra Glover Tawab. Uh, she's 39 years old. She grew up in Detroit and unfortunately, it was a, a tough situation for her growing up. In fact, she says that she experienced it all from substance abuse, uh, neglect in family relationships. And there's something called the Adverse Childhood Experiences Survey that healthcare providers use to try to figure out exactly how much trauma a child has faced growing up. She scored a 7 out of 10 in her in her own life, stuff that she's been through. So she's been through a lot. So her, her own experiences made her want to help others, and so she became a, a licensed clinical social worker, and her best-selling book is called Set Boundaries, Find Peace, A Guide to Reclaiming Yourself. And uh, she's got another book that has just come out called Drama Free, A Guide to Managing Unhealthy Family Relationships. And that's really what this is all about. And Catherine Pearson uh, from the New York Times wrote a little piece about her strategies on how to uh, manage these difficult family relationships, toxic dynamics that, that sometimes come up. And one of the things that um, uh, Nada Glover Tawab says is that when you're a child, you don't have a choice about the relationships that are in your life. She says relationships are put on you as a child, but as an adult, you get to choose who you want to be in relationship with and how, end of quote. And you say, well, you can't choose your family, but you can sometimes choose, especially as an adult, how you interact with them, even with family, if things do get a little bit toxic. And some of you guys have been through this. So how do you set and maintain boundaries in relationships? Well, it's not always easy, especially if it involves a parent or a brother or sister, or even maybe a child who's now grown up and, and things aren't healthy. So one of the things that she says is that you're never going to have a perfect relationship with anybody. 
especially people in your family. So you have to really think about what what it means to you to have a good or successful relationship with them. And then you got you have to figure out what are the issues that are affecting that dynamic. So one example that she gives is what if you're struggling in your relationship with your in-laws? It's a common scenario. She says, quote, if you come from a close-knit family and your partner has a family that's a little bit more distant, sometimes we try to arrange things with them. We try to invite them in and we get that pushback. We're upset, end of quote. And I remember just a few days ago on the Kale Clark show, somebody called in who came from a, a very close-knit Italian family and then she married somebody. She was saying her husband comes from a family that's a little bit more distant with each other. In fact, they have to make appointments with them to see them. <laughs> they can't just drop in. Uh, and that's kind of, uh, it's tough sometimes. And so what do, what do you do? Well, uh, Ms. Tawab says in that scenario, success, quote unquote, might simply mean, yeah, just have to accept the way your in-laws are. Stop trying to, you can't change them. Stop trying to change their culture. So really what you have to do is start thinking about yourself and how you can change yourself. She says, quote, when the solution to the problem is they need to change, the problem will never go away. You can only control your side of the street, end of quote. So what you have to do, she suggests writing it all down, like things that you can do to make the relationship different, the parts of the relationship that you could possibly change. You got to separate that from what's not your stuff, what's what's out of your control. So control the controllables. That's something Coach Bill Belichick says from the New England Patriots. He says that all the time to his players. Just, you know, get rid of the outside noise, control what you can control, just do your job. And so in the book, uh, she offers the example of someone named Kelly. There's only first names used. And she's been burned by her brother emotionally. And, and instead of thinking about how she can change his behavior, she tries to get some coping strategies within her own control. Uh, if, if it's really an upsetting situation, she'll just let his calls go to voicemail. And then she returns them if and when she's ready. Uh, lets them know that certain topics are off limits, ranting about their parents, ranting about their other siblings. She doesn't want that. So sometimes you have to say hard things in, 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 a, in a tough relationship, and people don't always accept that well, but it's a skill that you have to develop. You've got to become assertive and advocate for yourself. And uh, Nada Tawab says that sometimes when, when people do this, they... They want to try to find the right words. They know they have to have a tough conversation with somebody and they search for the exact right thing to say. And she says, forget about that. Just, it's okay to say something like, I don't want you yelling at me anymore. That's just one example. There's no perfect way to say that. There's no more beautiful way to say that. Just, just kind of go ahead and say it. And sometimes we're kind of taught that, oh, we, we should try to make other people comfortable all the time. Well, you can't always be worried about this other person might get upset. You've got to, you've got to be able to assertively say what, what you need to say. And it's not realistic that you're going to be able to keep people happy all the time. They're going to take it personally. They're going to take it personally because when you want to advocate for a change, the other person is going to see that as a rejection. And that's just the way it is. Um, they might disapprove of you. They might say you're wrong for trying to change things. Everything was fine until you said this. They might try to shame you. You're a terrible person. I can't believe you said that. Or they might resent you. I'm upset because you want something different. But there's going to be some pushback. There's going to be some pushback. And you can't control the way somebody reacts, but you can control whether you're going to do something about it. You can only control your actions. And, and so sometimes she says you have to, if it's, if it's not really possible to get to 
get the relationship to a point where it's it's at a usable place and, and, and things are a little bit more healthy, sometimes you have to use distance. And not saying cut off the relationship, but sometimes you need time and space to get that healthy, uh, to get to that or healthier point at least. It might mean that you decline an invitation to go to a, a family gathering where you know there's going to be a problem. Or uh, if you know staying with certain family members is going to be an issue on holidays, you might want to check the hotel instead or an Airbnb. And, and maybe just trying to steer conversations away from, from topics that you know are going to be bad and, and they're going to go away from where you want them to go. So strategic distancing, she calls it. It, it. That might be an option. It's not necessarily easy. You have to put in some work on this, but and you can't control what's outside of your control, but you, you can make a choice about how you're going to deal with that. That was an interesting article because uh, these things do come up in human relationships. You're listening to The Kale Clark Show on relevant radio. All right, let's go to Gina in San Diego. Hi, Gina. Hi, Gail. I love your show. Thanks so much. Oh, God bless um, you. Thank you. So, yeah, when we got married, there were like six readings to choose from, and none yeah. of them was really hitting me. So mm-hmm. I found one, and I don't know if it was a psalm or something. It said, my love is like a gazelle. He <laughs> yeah. jumps up on the rock. So I was like, what in the world? Uh, but the last line was, my beloved is mine, and I am his. Mm. And that just hit me. I, lo- I love it to this day. It's so beautiful. It is beautiful. I believe that's from the Song of Solomon. It's also known as the Song of Songs. Yeah, there's some uh, funny lines in there that you wouldn't necessarily use in a love poem today. Your your, your teeth are like the, the goats of sheep, you know, goat's teeth or something. I don't know. There's all this stuff in there. It's, but it, it was beautiful at the time uh, when, when it was written. And... Uh, and so, yeah, so that's that's often uh, used as a metaphor for the relationship of the soul with God. And I've heard worship songs that use that line, uh, you know, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine, and uh, the love of Christ for his church, that really comes into play as well. So, hey, Gina, thanks for sharing that. I really appreciate you calling in and for listening to the show out in beautiful San Diego, one of my favorite cities in the world, world, world. All right, let's go to Denise in Plymouth, Wisconsin. Hey, Denise. Hello. Hey, welcome to the program. No, thanks. So for our wedding, we chose Romans 12. Therefore, I urge you, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy Mm. and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. However, Mm. our pastor picked... (laughs) So we gave him the whole chapter, and he picked uh-huh. practice hospitality, oh. <laughs> which is what he focused on. And so wow. we ended up having 12 exchange students live with us, and we've had so many people in our home staying, and we had an Egyptian teacher, and we've had all these students. So it was kind of appropriate, actually, that we've practiced <laughs> hospitality. We've been married for 40 years. <laughs> oh, wow. Congratulations. 40 years. That That's a great milestone. and. I love that. He kind of changed. All right, I'm going to pick this part. Uh, I'm going to pick the part about practicing hospitality. Maybe the pastor wanted to be invited over for dinners a lot. I don't know. But, but it certainly seems like you've been practicing that virtue of hospitality. It's a real, actually, it's a spiritual gift. St. Paul says that hospitality is one of the spiritual gifts. And, and taking in these exchange students, as you said, and, and that, that's a real concrete representation of the love of Christ. I, I just admire so much people like you who do that. And people who take in foster children and stuff. It's a real 
Christ-like thing to do. So, so God bless you, and thanks for that call, Denise. Appreciate that. Let's go to Paul now in Tempe, Arizona. Hey, Paul. Hello. Hey, you're on the air. Good to have you. Yes, thank you. So what's, uh, what's okay, up? Okay, so my question, I heard, I heard one of your um, people on the radio mentioning uh, praying to, like, one of the angels, Raphael and stuff. What oh, yeah. scripture mm-hmm. would you give to, to justify praying to an angel? Okay, well, so just to be clear, to be technical clear, we don't pray to the angels, we pray through the angels. What I mean by that is we ask them to pray for us, just as you might ask a friend, hey, can you pray for me? Or a family member, please pray for me. Uh, we can ask them to pray for us as well. And so scripture is actually littered, Paul, with, with instant instances uh, like that. Um, uh, he, here's an example here. Uh, in Zechariah chapter 1, it talks about the angel of the Lord saying, O Lord of hosts, how long will you have no mercy on, the, on Jerusalem, the cities of Judah? And it says, The Lord answered gracious and comforting words to the angel. And so it's, it, the angels can speak with God, and, and Jesus in the Gospel, of course, in the Gospel of Matthew, he talks about, he says, do, do not look down on any of these little ones, for I tell you the truth, their angels always see the face of my Father in heaven. So this is one of the passages that we, we get for uh, the concept of guardian angels, that every person has an angel. He says, their angels always see the face of my Father in heaven. Uh, in Exodus, one of the things it says in Exodus 23, Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way, to bring you to the place which I prepared. So this is obviously the angel leading the Israelites out of Egypt to the promised land. It's all over the place. Um, uh, so I, I think I think there are many passages. You can look at the, the letter to the Hebrews. Uh, the book of Revelation has a ton of stuff about angels with the prayers of the saints in heaven. Um it's really all over the Old and New Testament, so I think I think there's a good good biblical basis for this, to say the least. And uh, I would recommend if you if you haven't checked it out, uh, look at what the Catechism of the Catholic Church has to say about angels. You can find the Catechism online. There are lots of uh, uh, you don't if you can buy yourself a copy, fantastic. But it is also online. Just Google it, and uh, there's lots of great stuff about about angels there. And uh, the okay. angels are there to help us. That's part of the deal. So use them, <laughs> right? And and right, and I, I agree. We have uh, guardian angels. I just don't see any place in there where it, where it mentions uh, praying to them or or through them, for that matter. Okay. Well, I, I would say, hey, and read maybe a little bit closer. Think about Jacob wrestling with the angel, right? In Genesis thirty-two, he asked the angel to bless him. The angel did. The angel did. So I think uh, there's there's lots of scriptures. We, we could go on and on about this. And I think that might be actually a great topic for another show. So, hey, Paul, I thank you so much uh, for calling in in the desert, Tempe, Arizona. And I appreciate that. Hey, I want you guys to stay tuned because we've got a very special guest coming up in the next hour on Trending with Timory. Senator Josh Hawley will be by and he's going to talk about a new book uh, that he's penned about manhood. And uh, that'll be interesting, so definitely check that out. And then, of course, the Family Rosary Across America with Father Rocky will be right after that. So lots lots of good stuff coming up. Keep it locked on Relevant Radio. Jim Shaper produced The Kale Clark Show. Patrick Alock took your phone calls. Take it away, Michaela. Thank you for listening to my daddy.